Greetings all. Welcome back to the Powerhouse Perspective, empowering leaders for business breakthroughs. If you haven't joined us before, I'm Scott Medeiros, president of Helmwise, and this is Chandler Rhodes, the CEO of the Rosewood Family of Companies. This is podcast number four. If you haven't listened to the first three pieces, please go forth and do so. What we've been talking about is using a C metaphor in order to describe business. We talk about the leader of a business being a captain and the business itself being a ship. And what we talked about at the end of the last session, episode number three, was the fact that a person or a captain takes over a ship. And what are the things that the captain does in order to get themselves acquainted with this new business or this new vessel? And today we're going to take it into more of a personal blend and try to talk about the captain themselves and a little bit of what they need to do to become self-aware. So Chandler, let's take it from there. I know you and I have discussions all the time about self-reflection, self-awareness. So as we now talk about a captain who has now found themselves at the head of a new business, what about the, the captain themselves that should they consider? Yeah, it's one that's been played out quite a bit, and you can find many podcasts on on how to really discover thyself. So it's a an old phrase, obviously, all the way back from the the Greeks, and if you go back to the Old Testament, it's a you know a thousand or two thousand years prior to that. Um, and so we we had a little debate in the previous podcast on my inclination to do a self evaluation when you find right. yourself in charge. Right. And so Scott, being the aviator and trainer, and and uh, much more adept at what do you do when you're actually in charge of a aircraft in his instance, I think wisely spoke to first evaluate what you have control of and then decide who you're going to be and what you need to be to run it going forward. So know thyself, orient yourself. Who are you as a person uh, really is key to be an authentic leader. You can't be an authentic leader if you don't truly understand your values and your purpose in life then take that and see how it aligns or tethers itself to the purpose of the business and or the ship if we're using that metaphor to move forward. So what are your values? Scott, how do you, you know, there's a lot of, wow, a lot of info on that, but yes, definitely. The, the values piece, and I think that's something that is so ingrained in us at the Rosewood family companies that we take it for granted is because we are a values based company. And I think as, as a leader, as a captain of a new business or a new ship, that values piece is so important, but it begins not with the values of the organization, but the personal values, right? What am I all about? What are those things that I will not compromise on? Because if the business that we're now ahead of is, is misaligned with that, it's going to cause friction. So I think as a captain, that self-awareness, that ability to say, what are my core values? What are the things that absolutely must be in place? And then more importantly, what are some of the aspirational values that I have? And then you also going to play into what are some of the pay for play values? In order to do business, you're going to have certain values of, of ethics and morals and those sort of things. But having those things in alignment and spending time to figure out who you are first before anything else, I think is probably the most important part. So I, I I phrase, you know, discovering your values is kind of available in the market. So there are some great books. Lanchoni does a great job. I yep. think you were running down his list of how he organizes values. Um, but one of the ways that you and I have actually had some debates in the past is you can go through that values discovery in a way that is what's important to you, what is core to you. We flipped it on its head when I've worked with several people and said, what causes you Righteous anger. Yes. Righteous indignation. Indignation. Yes. Indignation. Yes. So the reason I like to do that is you can become unaware of the fact that you are kind of voicing values that you personally aspire to as if they're really yours. Um, and so that is being the, you know, a fraud. There's a lot of talk on, you know, being, uh, you know, unauthentic. Mm-hmm adapting somebody else's values or values you think that sound good to other people. <clears throat> and so one of the ways we guard against that, and that is half of the equation certainly is to write out what you value, what you see is the best. The other half is to say what, when you see this exhibited in someone else really fires you up as unacceptable. Yeah. And so I, that exercise has allowed us to really narrow down when we went through groups of people. And 
we may have a group of six or eight people. They might narrow down to their 10 to 15 values. We get together, we start really trying to hone down what is the core emotional set of values for this leader and for this leader's crew is what really does fire you up. When someone fails to show respect, when someone refuses to show mercy in a situation, what is they refuse to do the right thing and take ownership? What is it that really gets you fired up and emotional? And that's a good way to me to kind of crystallize or, or distill down which values are the most meaningful to you. So we've done that exercise in this conversation. We'll fast forward ahead, Scott. What do you, I think one of the big mistakes is so I've, I've I found myself, I discovered my values. Mm-hmm. We tether those to the company. What do we do with them when we actually put them in the business? So most, you know, they're everywhere. Everybody puts them on the wall. There's a lot of books, uh, right. lots of companies. How right. do we, how do we operationalize? You being the operation yeah. expert, what do we do with values to make sure that they're infused into the organization? Yeah, it's it's a great question because you don't want them to just be on the wall. You don't want them to be written down. Perhaps they're in your employee handbook that you read once and you just assume people are going to operate that way. You know, I found that even we do that here at Rosewood Family Companies is we actually verbalize our values quite a bit. And we also hold each other accountable that when we're making a decision, are we doing it in accordance with the values? We also find a way to try to decompose those values to what it means that people at various levels of the organization. We call that a values decomp, a values decomposition. Because what a value looks like to me as the chief execution officer is different than what it looks like as that field rep in the field. And it's important for us to kind of translate our values into what it means to them. Because if indeed they know what it means to them, and then we can standardize on what good looks like, now we've got a common language to operate against to show that we are meeting the value, that we're consistent in what we mean by that value. If we leave it open to interpretation, then people are going to have perceptions of what they think a word actually means. So we need to do that decomp to ensure that we have people see it at each individual level so that collectively from the bottom to the top of the organization and from the top to the bottom, everyone is aligned on what these values are, what they mean, and what good looks like. All right. So we know what we stand for. We, we have, you know, consider taking the helm of this vessel, taking charge of the business. What is our purpose? And before that, yes. what is our personal purpose? And, and, and again, like the values, are those aligned? Yeah, um, this is a, a that's a great question. And I think it gets into a little bit of a debate, right? Because what we talked about just a moment ago were values. And now we're talking about the why, the purpose. If you're Simon Sinek, start with why, uh, purpose. Some people call it the mission or the vision. All of those things kind of come together. But really what it says is what is the organization, the entity about? What is the larger thing, the thing that the North Star that we're going to 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 chart towards? And some people would say that you've got to determine that first and then you do your values. But we believe you do your values first and then your North Star, your why. Because I think if you don't know who you are first and your values, that why starts to become a bit malleable and it's not as concrete as it needs to be. And I think that's where problems actually start. So the why, what the business is all about, I think is equally important that needs to be decomposed down throughout the organization, right? What the why looks like for me as an organization is one thing, but what is my own personal why? How does that tie into the larger organizational why? And if I'm at a a different level of the organization, what does that look like at a managerial level as well? So it's, again, a more of a decomposition of the why at the various levels. We call that the vertical alignment of the why. Well, that discussion, you know, it is, you know, the Simon Sinek's view is start with why. Lynchoni thinks you go with the why and forward. So we do break from, I guess, a lot of the people. And we've had several discussions. And one of the ways that we've had this discussion is you and I met each other through business. We look at, you know, how do we align on our values first? Correct. If we're looking at a new venture, we're going to set sail. So you're looking at your crew. The first thing you better do is decide whether you share your values. That's not the same as liking each other, but that is if we can't coexist with our values, then we decide where we're going. 
I do think that it is a mistake. It's confirmation bias. There's a lot of technical information of if I say we got together in order to launch this vessel, this business to go this direction. And it looks like we may not make it unless we bend the rules a little bit. Our values may slightly tilt, yeah. uh, just like you would see in research. You see it often in statistics of, well, we'll just decide to count this one. And that's not really an outlier. So we can leave that in the data set because right. it right. lends a little bit more towards what my thesis was. And so those are a couple of reasons of, you know, when you think of who you met and your friends, you get around them, you, you evaluate whether, what do we have in common? Yep. Do we really have things in common, right? Well, do we want to go do something together? And so I think the natural tendency is really to evaluate values sharing. And then, oh, we're, we're good. So right. now let's go find something Correct. to do as a team. And so we try to mimic that and, and that along the confirmation bias are two reasons. I think that they, they go the other direction. So well, I think that makes sense, right? If, <laughs> if you and I agree that we fundamentally are aligned on our values, then we can accomplish great things together. But if we don't do that, even though we may be here for the same overall reason, there actually is going to be a disconnection, at least when it comes to making difficult decisions, because we don't have that that common ethos, that common value system that keeps us aligned. Well, the decision part is is a part that I think also doesn't get enough emphasis when the, when you see a lot of discussions on values and why. And what I mean is the decision is hopefully right but in reality we're trying to make our best guess at what will take us towards where we're mm -hmm. trying to go so that might be the you know our BHAG our big yeah. big ultimate goal or maybe the next why the next waypoint so we need to you know launch one more city or one more state or we need to roll out this new service line um, to me that's what when you make a decision of how do we want to go into a market how do we want to price what kind of employees that needs to be washed through what do we stand for and mm -hmm. values and then measure that off of our purpose as an entity. And that may determine whether that next waypoint or that BHAG is actually something we feel comfortable you know, putting ourselves forward. And so then you get into the Nietzsche and the uh, Frankel discussions. Correct. of, you know, And I think that lends a little more to our discussion. If you have a good enough why, you can survive anyhow, anyhow. essentially. And so... You know, that story with Frankel, I think it's a little more emphasis. And we brought it up here at the office a little while back because he tested that theory during the Holocaust in a right. concentration camp. Right. Can he actually survive this experience without breaking down who he was as a person? And so there's a great book out there. But, you know, his ultimate why of getting back to his family and that relationship and the things that he decided to hold on to drove his decisions through some of the worst times in human history, at least documented times in human right. history. So right. when you tether your why to the organization's why, you have the ability to do what we call orient. Right. And so I think what's important is that sounds simple. It is a little more important to think about, do you want to be a leader that's disoriented? And so if you, if you give the inverse description of someone who is not oriented towards something I think it gives a little more power to Scott. I'd really like you to lead this organization, but you're a disoriented person. It doesn't sound like a good idea. And so I think the inverse a little bit gives you a better understanding of you need to be clear about your personal self, your personal purpose, and does that align with the company? And then when we make decisions, even if those are the wrong decisions, we can quickly go back and say, all right, well, they were wrong, but you know, we had these things in mind and maybe they were out of alignment with our values and our right. why, but you have to have something to measure against. Well, yeah, what a fundamental <laughs> concept and, and such a powerful concept, right? Because in the day-to-day -day business, we're making decisions all the time. Issues come up, problems come up, personnel issues and or is issues with customers, and we're solving things. But how often are we running it back through the filter to ensure that it's aligned with our values and aligned with our why, right? It's so easy to get distracted by the now. Right. The the intensity, the the urgency draws us into it. But the discipline of understanding that we've got a value system and we've got a why that serve as our our grounding mechanisms, our North Star and using them as a filter to say whatever we do, whatever emotion that we're currently feeling, let's kind of wash it back through our values and our why to make sure that we're oriented 
towards making the right decision. If we don't do that, I think the, the urgency of the, the item or the matter is going to draw us in a particular direction, which could be counter to your values and your why. So the orientation piece, wow, very fundamental concept, but I don't think a lot of us really do that habitually enough in order to keep us from getting into a, a bad situation or misalignment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've checked that box. So we've, we've discussed the values, we've discussed okay. the why. Now the question is, all right, well, I think I can, can run this business, take this next position at, at this organization. What is the next phase of that organization? What's the next waypoint on that journey? Is a logical question. So where are we going from here? I'm taking over. What is my, you know, one year, three year, five year look like? Yeah, yeah. And then once you write that out, try to do an honest, objective description of what type of leader. So I know myself. What type of leader do I need to go to the next phase of that business? And so that becomes, you know, what we call an avatar or an example of that that you know ideal leader. Mm -hmm to take us on that next journey, that next leg on a, on a voyage. Compare that to the skill set you have and you brought to the yeah. table. Yeah. And, and doing that honestly and with humility, looking at what are my actual attributes? What am I good at? What will it take to get to the next step? What attributes are needed there? Do I have the experience, the knowledge, even the personality, even the temperament? Uh, you know, we talk about are you more of an EQ type leader or are you very much an IQ, logistical, left brain, right brain, right. Um, different organizations at different points. And it's growth, startup, uh, sometimes on a rebuild phase. You really switch between needing to really corral around EQ, morale, building people up. And then when you hit high growth and maturity, you really need to dial in a lot of logistics, a lot of detail, a lot of process and a lot of scalability. So talk a little bit about the importance of a leader being willing to lay out the ideal leader versus their skill set and the discussions that have to be made. Are you willing to cross that chasm that may be there from here to there? Yeah, I think the piece that really kicked off in my head when you were describing that is, again, another fundamental concept, but not very many leaders do it. And that is, we're about to go on this next phase of the business. So this is next goal that we're trying to achieve from, from a business perspective. And what we try to do is say, we're already here. So I'm going to try to adapt myself in order to move the organization forward. Instead of taking a little bit of reflection and saying, what is actually needed first? So you mentioned the ideal. And I think that's the most important part, right? To be successful, if we had... To draw it out and we had our ability to pick anyone with the right skill sets or the necessary skill sets to take us successfully to this next port on our journey, what would that person look like? What qualities would that person need to have? And then with that ideal, then come with the objective assessment of yourself and say, okay, do I have all of those things? And if there is a gap, it isn't as if, okay, let's just get rid of the cap and let's walk them off the plank. But at least now you can either find individuals who can fill that gap. It now allows you to be more aware so that you can do self-development perhaps to bridge the gap, the chasm as you just talked about. But so often we don't set the ideal. We don't say, what does it take to be successful to the best of our abilities? And then map us back to find out where the gaps are. And that way you can spend time working on the gaps, mitigating the gaps in order to generate success. Instead, we automatically just start morphing. And I think when you morph, it starts moving the misalignment. It starts getting you out of orientation because what you're doing automatically is adjusting to the situation instead of you adjusting to the direction that you have committed to going. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, it comes to humility. And so there is, a, a, I think, a large misunderstanding of what humility means. Yeah. Uh, most people think humility means that you are soft, you know, not willing to take the tough challenge and, and those types of things. And I remember having dinner with a friend and uh, she was taking a job at Starbucks in Seattle um, and has done really well still there and, and runs their design throughout Asia and China. So it does really well. And she asked, what would you what would you do when you go into this this meeting? You know, to start out, I've never been here. And I said, well, you have to have confidence. 
and show humility. And she says, well, how can you do both of those? <clears throat> like, those are not diametrically opposed, I explained to her. It takes a lot of confidence to admit your shortcomings and to take an objective view of yourself. And a lot of humility, once you see that, to Scott's point, you don't quit. You don't give up. You don't necessarily say, I'm going to become the person that needed. You have the humility to say, I need help. I need to surround go. myself with other folks that can build me up, drive me to the next level, and take me through this next phase of the journey. And so humility gets a negative rap out of uh, certainly misunderstanding and, and humility and self-reflection. I view as probably top one or two, if, if not number one reason I see leaders fail, uh, to be frank. They're certainly smart enough. They work hard enough. They have the uh, experience to do it. They just refuse to look at themselves objectively, see where they're weak, mitigate those weaknesses, and then make it on to the next next phase. They just continue to pound and pound harder, even though we need a different tactic in this phase of the business or their career. But I think that <laughs> it's easier for a leader to become more humble when they start saying it's not all about me. Right. So once they realize that they are a steward, a captain, <laughs> owner of that particular ship and that it's not about them, it's about getting the ship, the business to its next waypoint, then you can be a bit more humble because you're willing to take a step down because you've placed the mission, the why ahead of self. And maybe that's part of the self-reflection is this and the humbleness is to say, it's not all about me. Right. This isn't about me being pleased or easier in charge or whatever the case may be. It's about putting the right person at the right place, at the right time. And it will make the organization collectively successful. And a good captain, I think, also has to be a good follower. Um, Jocko Willing talked about that in the dichotomy of leadership. you got to be know when to lead and when to follow. And actually, Maxwell, John Maxwell, talks about this in many of his books, talks about a good leader has to be a good follower. If you've never been able to be a good follower, how do you know what leadership is? Right. And so I think that's part of it. And part of that becoming humble is saying, hey, I may have to follow. I may have to ask for help at this particular time, even though I'm supposed to be the perceived leader or captain of the ship. That shows a lot of humility. I think that goes into another topic. You, you know, obviously we've spoken about that why and the principle why that right. that business, that entity needs to go above you. And you need to orient towards what's best for the business. And then that will allow you to be a little more self-reflective and, and more understanding. And so what we talk about when we present to our leaders and we talk with other leaders is, are you a good steward? Right. And what is stewardship versus we often say take ownership? We've said it here for years. And stewardship and ownership are certainly not the same. And so another reason the metaphor of being a captain yeah. is a great example is the obligations, if you look them up of a captain, who's in charge of a vessel, uh, they are certainly last, similar to when you were in, you know, training in the Marines and the pilots in charge of the, the helicopter or whichever mm -hmm. aircraft they're flying. So the, the aircraft itself, the mission, the people on board, all those things come before the captain. You've heard of going down with the ship. There was actually a captain went off of Italy that went to prison not long ago for the cruise ship, they say. The, the one that he ran aground. Right there, yeah. And then he took off. Well, you know, that's a bigger obligation to be a steward. So another way to think of it is if you own something that's yours, you can take it out in the yard and smash it with a hammer or light it on fire or whatever you decide. You can destroy it. If you are a steward and I entrust you with something that's not yours, you don't have the right to destroy that item, right. take it in the yard, bust right. it up and light it on fire. Right. So it is a mindset that even if you are the owner, you need to adopt that mindset that I have been given something that I need to leave in a better place for the future. And then that drives my decisions of what's in it for the ownership and leadership, what's in it for the employees. That balance is much easier to achieve when both of you are trying to do what's best for the entity. If I'm trying to take advantage of the employees, maximize profits, pay them as little as possible, or vice versa, their opinion is all leadership wants to do is take all the money that I should be getting, then you're fighting left to right instead of looking upward towards what's best for the business. And so stewardship, putting that purpose up top, understanding that entity, you know, the ship 
hard to survive on an actual vessel. So we're back to the metaphor when it sinks. <laughs> so it's so you don't yeah. get very far, and, yeah. and that seems sure. obvious as well. But we forget it so often, and it's you know a lot of times it is leadership that starts that battle of you do what I said. Well, again, take the time to decompose the purpose. Take the time to explain why this is important to the success of not only the company, but to the employee. Why is this an important decision? And if your leader can't do that, they really don't have much reason to complain about employees not backing them, not being bought in, not being fully committed to the direction that we're going. That's the leader's fault. Well, so much of what we've talked about so far actually builds right back to this. So the concept of stewardship, which you just articulated very well, is important to us. But you have some who have difficulty becoming a good steward. And the reason is, is because they haven't actually spent time to identify their values and haven't identified the why. Because if so, then they would have placed something above themselves. And because they know something is above themselves and they're driving with their values and they're driving towards their North Star why, now they are willing to make sacrifices and to deliver something and maintain it or return it in a better state because there's something bigger than them. When they don't do that, then it goes back to all about me. I founded this business and I'm in charge and I'm the owner, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, if that's why you went in the business and you never considered your values and never considered your why, then stewardship is going to be a difficult concept for you. So it goes back to set the foundation of values, why, and then obviously that alignment of self-reflection and humility. All comes together. It's very good. So when you talked about uh, you know humility and that self-reflection, I think everyone knows people who are overly confident, overly stubborn, you know, gregarious, outgoing, outspoken. And in reality, when you see them in a high stress situation or see them make a huge mistake, which every leader, if you if you have the gumption to actually lead, you're going to make some really big mistakes. We know at the end of the day, intrinsically, they usually lack self-esteem. They they literally put out that they know what they're going on. They refuse to be humble because they know that this ego they've created is not real. And so we've got that that group. And so that one everybody can identify. There's another group of people, though, that, that I have quizzed a lot, you have quizzed a lot, is really looking at yourself, do you seek pleasure or avoid pain? One of my favorite questions. And so you know, seeking pleasure means you're willing to go through the hardship, the pain, and the things that yes. are necessary to reach that next elevated point in your career for the company, for the ship on the voyage. Um, avoid pain. You certainly need to mitigate, which you're a good mitigation, uh, risk mitigation. Yeah, a risk mitigation guy. Yeah. Guy. So that is, uh, you know, you can't be foolish and reckless. That, that's kind of obvious. But yeah. you see leaders that make it very high up into management who are great at avoiding pain. Because they build great process, they build great accountability, metrics to make sure we don't drop the ball. We run great. Everything is good. Well, once you become a leader, you are many times on uncharted territory, new ventures, new areas where you're making educated guesses, guided by all the things you talked about. So that's a tough transition from I'm an avoid pain person to I'll take whatever comes at me. Again, you're a Victor Frankel mm -hmm. example. Because the purpose is there. I seek that pleasure of making this business become something it can be, taking these employees and the people along with me to the next level. Certainly there is some you know, self-preservation, some selfish reasons. Everyone wants to be successful to make money. We're not Pollyanna and silly. But uh, truly putting others first, putting the why and purpose first, willing to take the pain to go to the next level. So we'll, what do you see as the tendencies of a that that split between the avoid pain, seek pleasure? Yeah, I think the avoid pain one tends to garner a lot more support, meaning more people adopt that than than seeking pleasure. And a lot of it, in my opinion, comes down to short term versus long term. And even in today's society, we're in this instant society, right? We have microwaves, right? Because we don't want to wait to actually for a meal to, to cook in an oven. And so, you know, instant oatmeal, right? Because <laughs> you don't want to wait to get things down. And I think a lot of businesses want instantaneous success. 
And sometimes to seek out that short-term success, it's all about avoiding pain. It's about making all the pain go away so I can achieve success. But what they don't do is understanding that it is actually the long-term pleasure, the seeking pleasure, that is really where the satisfaction comes from. And if one has done the pieces we talked about, values along with a why, then they know that this isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And they've gotta be willing to go through the mile after mile in order to get to across the finish line. And to do that, guess what? You're gonna to have to go through pain, you're gonna to have to hit that wall at mile 20 or mile 18, and work your way through to seek the pleasure at the far end. So I think that people will instinctively say, I want pleasure, but I think habitually they want to avoid pain because it's the thing that hurts them right now. And because we're an instantaneous, you know, short-term thinking culture, holistically, we tend to avoid pain first rather than seeking pleasure. But the seeking pleasure is the piece where the satisfaction comes in. That's where legacy comes in. You know, we've talked about some of the writings of, of Jim Collins, wrote a book, Good, Good to Great, as well as a Built to Last. And he talks about 100-year-old companies. They didn't get that way to go 100 years as an organization by avoiding pain. They had to seek pleasure. They had to go through tough times, weather recessions, weather financial downturns, because the longer-term goal of what they had in mind the legacy is what was driving them. So seeking pleasure is easier if you know your why. It goes back to Viktor Frankl, right? We, if, if we don't know the why, then we just want the pain to go away. We just want today to be good. I want to go home happy. Yeah, right? I think There's his opinion was I'll take however much pain yeah, is necessary. Is necessary so, in order to get to my long-term pleasure, which was to see his family again or, or be um, released from the concentration camp. Yep. He struck that out and, and set it out as a goal. And, and set it out there to measure himself against. And so that, that again, sets it out for you. I will give a little bit of pass to people because, you know, most psychologists and, and psychiatrists, they throw out a number of two and a half times the power of avoiding pain. And so that can't tell you where exactly they iron that out. But I do know from evolution and the way the body remembers things is we log what hurt us. We log what surrounded that decision, anything that triggers our brain that might bring up a pain incident and uh, pain in humans, we can take away from a kind of section that I like to spend some time in is we're no longer out trying to find food, find a mate. Uh, most right. of us are not at war all the time, although they are obviously having that in Ukraine and other places. So our brains are able to take even social pain trigger the same chemicals as danger in the, you know, plains, mm -hmm. caveman times, you know, hunter gatherer times. Um, and so we automatically trigger towards that wasn't good. That wasn't good. That didn't feel good. And so I think without setting a objective goal, that why, that purpose outside of yourself, it is going to be extremely hard to override your genetic nature tendency along with your nurture life experiences that have hey i spoke up sounds silly in middle school high school i made the wrong choice and i looked like an idiot well we might think that's small your brain coats that neurocircuitry and says don't go there again so anything that starts yeah. to feel like that is is embedded in us and so social media is certainly more than you and I grew up in the let's do it fast. I think now people are finding way more ways to get hurt because now they're on social yeah, media. They're listening to all likes and comments and all these things. Realize that that physiologically in your brain literally creates pathways that says, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. And so that's a tough thing to overcome without taking a lot of consideration into who you are where you want to go? Is it aligned with the organization that you're in? Am I willing to risk that negative feeling in order to get that hit of dopamine, like you said, that is, I'm moving in a direction towards a worthy purpose. Right. And that gives me joy. That gives me fulfillment. Not a ha-ha happy, a truly I have done something today that is worthwhile. Yeah, it's interesting, the sort of the human aspects of a lot of things that we do. You just mentioned a lot about chemicals. I think that that binding of those 
neural pathway. I think it's called myelin. I read myelin. Yep. So, yes, it was something I think by Daniel Coyle wrote a book called the the Culture Code. Talked a lot about that. Talked about it from from a talent perspective, not a pain perspective. But there's also part of the human body is has been designed to go through hardship, right? When we break a bone and it heals, it actually heals stronger than it was before you broke it. And the body has this amazing way to repair itself, to go through adversity in order to keep on going. Not only that, but prepare itself for even more adversity. And so if we can get beyond the avoiding pain to seeking pleasure, I think we're going to get the benefits of both, that we're going to actually try to do things better and more appropriately and more effectively, but at the same time, still get the overall successes that we're looking for. So. Something you can speak to that, that obviously drives us home as the ultimate sacrifice. You were in the military. Yeah. You know, you sure. had had to obviously go to funerals and bury people. Sure. Um, yes. And so sacrifice is an area that so, you know, in your mind, you say, oh, I, all right, I'm going to switch from avoiding pain. I'm going to I'm going to yeah. seek pleasure. When in reality, you're still going to have the bad feeling even when you start to make that step. And if you're waiting on all of a sudden for you to feel ready to go, and this is the right thing to do instead of act first in faith towards something that you think is worthy and then take action. If you're waiting to feel motivated as opposed to lay out what's in alignment with what you want, take action and step out, the odds of you changing your behavior are pretty much zero. Yeah, I mean, we've we've spoken about some of those core principles that you need to have as a good leader. Number one, we talk about humility. You've already talked about stewardship. Probably the next one is sacrifice. And if you got humility, which means you now know what it's like to be a good steward. And if you're a good steward, the sacrifice piece comes a little bit easier because you understand that it is not about you, as we've talked about many times. And you know, from a military perspective, it it's easier, and it's easier only because. From the earliest days of officer candidate school or boot camp, if you're an enlisted member, you know, you're talking about something bigger than you. It's the individual group of people you're around. Maybe it's your fire team. Maybe it's the squad. Maybe it's the platoon, the company, the squadron, battalion, whatever word you're going to go to. But it's never just you. You're there to ensure that something else can move forward. And so the ability to sacrifice, whether that's time, whether that's uh, energy, whether that is Hey, I'm going to spend more time, you know, at work versus being at home. Provided that you can align it to that why, to that north star, then you're able to do it. But without the other two pieces, I say if you don't have good stewardship, you don't have humility, sacrifice comes a lot harder. If you have the first two, I think sacrifice becomes something that is easier to uh, to do and is much more palatable because you know that it's going to lead you someplace greater. <laughs> Excuse me. But sacrifice as another place you do get a, your dichotomy. So you get the sacrifice for others and you get the sacrifice out of narcissism and yeah. uh, sociopaths. And so as an employee and as a leader, I do think the easiest, one of the easiest ways I would say to check that quickly is to go back to humility. So if, if you're a leader and you're, or you're an employee, you go to your leader and you point out, hey, we didn't really live up to our values here or we're out of alignment with our purpose. And they tell you, well, our values and our purpose are what I say they are. Right. You know, if they're more of the tyranny side of business, that is a big clue that that is a leader you don't need to align with. Don't make them a mentor. If you can find another job, I'd probably suggest you do that. Um, if you also just want to make money, certainly there are plenty of successful leaders that have built big companies that are purely after money, fame, and they look like they do a lot of sacrifice, but the sacrifice is only going to be there when it's beneficial to them. It's not going to be there when they're beneficial to shareholders, to employees, to people who are below them that think that, oh, he's he or she's bringing me along for the ride. No, no, no. They're bringing you along as long as you can take them on the ride. Right. And so right. watch out for which sacrifice you get. Just like I mentioned earlier of, you know, Give some credit on why they don't want to be humble. It may not just be speed. It may be a, some some fear and some pain they have to overcome and, and take some time on that. And so there's several aspects that go into to that sacrifice. Really, that one you brought up earlier is another one. So not just humility is what is the legacy? So what do they want to leave right. behind? 
is another way to test that out. So Scott, what what do you want to leave behind, Scott? Yeah, I definitely want to leave behind something better than what I started with. But for me, it's it's really I want to take all the things that I've learned and leave those for others to learn from so that they can accelerate a path and get beyond where I was. So the legacy for me is all about sharing the wisdom. And that's kind of the legacy as I as I think about it. But as you were writing or, or speaking, I was writing some stuff down that everything we talked about, whether it's values, why, humility, stewardship, sacrifice, even now legacy, there are people who can violate all of that and get so-called success, right? They can burn all the bridges, they can burn all the relationships, and they can make a, a fast buck or become the next who knows. But the bottom line is, unless you are committed to legacy, then all those things are not going to be worth it. Because the legacy says that it's a longer term vision. It's a longer term um, purpose. And I, I think a lot of times people see the quickness of, of fame or the quickness of success. And they become enamored with that. And they don't think about, well, what about tomorrow and next month and next year? in decades from now, or my family, or my kin, or my grandkids, whatever. They don't think about that. But if you do, then you're into a legacy building scenario. I think you and I talked about the Green family who runs Hobby Lobby, that in their mission statement or how they see things, they plan for 150 years out. We were just talking about doing a one-year plan, right, or three-year plan, or even a five-year plan. They're talking about a 150-year plan. Now, that's beyond their generation or their generation's generation or their generation's generation's generation. But they believe so much in legacy and so much about paying it forward that that's how their vision is. And so I know for a fact that they will, you know, not they will seek pleasure and not take the avoid pain route because they want to leave that legacy. A lot of what we've spoken about is, is how do you recognize it in others? and so. When you're self-evaluating, so we're back to self-reflecting, mm -hmm. and, and so you've you've made it all the way this far, and you you look at you know yourself, so you feel like you have the the values right, and all the things you listed. What are some ways to think about that? I mean, you certainly have the classic, which I think is still great, is what do you want on your tombstone? What do you want to be sure. remembered sure. for? Um, write your eulogy. That, write your eulogy is a good one. Um, yeah. You know, to get. A little more nerdy in the in the psychology world is there's a lot of those that believe that you are actually your own community. You are multiple versions of you. And what that means is you won't always be the CEO. Even if you're super successful, hmm. you don't want to become the you know rich guy who has no one there to support him alone at the end of the day. And we see that a lot. And so you know, one of the things to look at is are you considering where you personally will be? with your family, with your friends, uh, with what you leave behind, and who do you want to be, you know, even past your point, that 5, 10, 20 years when you're getting in your later years, twilight years. So what do you want the business to be? Long-term legacy, what do you want to be while you're alive? And then what do you want to be, you know, in the future after you've passed away? And so what are your kids, what would you like your family to say for, about you is another way to look at it. But it's easy to throw rocks, look at the other people's, problems. Yeah, we it certainly is. Ourselves. certainly is. And you know, you've also got to divide the two pieces. You've got the person and then you've got the entity. We talked about that earlier, right? It's not just about you. It's about the entity as well. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of people identify with work. We see this through exit planning. So those companies who a person maybe has been doing a business for 30, 40 years, now they want to exit the business. And one of the most difficult things that they have is the psychological nature is of dividing themselves from the business because the business is their, their identity. When they're the leader of a business, they're, you know, I'm the CEO of X, I'm the president of X. But then once they leave the business, then what are they? You know, that I used to be, right? I, X president or whatever the case. And so you've got to be able to keep both legacies going, your personal legacy and the business legacy. And if we have the overarching why that is gonna to continue to drive both yourself and the entity, 
then you're actually leaving both in a better place. The stewardship is actually work for you as well as the entity, and both are going to be on a longer term trajectory. But I think it's that separation to understand that this isn't just about me, but at the same time, I've got to be thinking about what do I want my personal legacy to be and what I want the business legacy to be and not necessarily think that they're absolutely connected and can't be separated because they have to work and function independently as well. And so that fulfillment, you know, and that legacy and, and I use fulfillment, I use joy as, you know, technically may not be correct, but certainly more long-term is, than happiness. So, I, you know, I'll say joy is more the climate and happiness is the weather today. Um, I do want to be clear. We, we get a lot of people who get into this race and maybe line all these things up we've talked about and they become addicted to actually reaching the goal as opposed to running the race well. So talk a little bit about, you know, your life experience and, and things you've yeah, seen in leaders of, you know, yeah, I'm pursuit of grabbing the next rung on the ladder instead of my joy is the fact that I'm moving in a noble direction, making incremental process progress towards that. And if I never make it, yeah, I can check out of this world and say, you know what, I continue to march towards something that was worthy following some noble values and, and trying to leave people and the company in a better place. Yeah, I think for me, it's I spent decades kind of just climbing the ladder, if you want to call it that. And it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe a little, just a little bit before I joined Rosewood, so about five, seven years ago, that I read some, some more John C. Maxwell information. And what he talked about is, are you building ladders? Are you working your way up to something greater? Or are you building bridges? Are you connecting with people and leaving legacy and stewardship and all of those sort of things? And, and for me, the mistakes I made in the majority of my career, because now I'm towards the, more towards the end of it than the beginning of it, is I spent way too much ladder climbing. I spent way, way too much time trying to say, okay, this is the position I want. This is the role that I want. This is the company I want to work for. That in reality doesn't matter. Now, as I look towards you know, the latter part of my career, the final part of my career, it's what are you leaving behind? It's not a title, right? It's how many people have I helped? How many leaders have I developed? How many uh, organizations have I helped put on a right path? Those are the things that are much more meaningful to me than whether or not I achieved a certain dollar amount in my bank account or I received a certain title on my business card. And so, yes, I think early on in my career, the majority of it, I was ladder climbing when I should have been bridge building because that bridge is going to connect people and continue to go on, on again and again. A ladder can only get you to one place. Well, a lot of people hear that and say, that's easy to say because you're president. Yeah, that's true. Um, and sure. I think the realistic response to that is there are prerequisites to attaining your goal. I've had this discussion in colleges and, yeah. and a little bit in the, the world of everybody's an activist not because I care about what you're an activist of, is that I said, you know, I spoke to some students once, I said, well, if you're going to become, you have a passion and you want to really move the needle on that passion, but you're studying chemistry to become a doctor or a pharmacist, when are you going to have more impact? Hmm. Are you going to have more impact once you've achieved that incremental success so that then you have more reach and more finance, more connection, or not, and you need to be able to reflect on the necessary items, just like we spoke about as a leader. Is this next waypoint where I need to go? Do I have the skill set? Do I have the temperament? Do I have the experience to make it to that step? And and so, like all things in, in your dichotomy, it's never one or the other. Mm -hmm. It's always a mixture of both. Sometimes leaning more one direction, sometimes not. Um, and so, really. You test that, whether it's pure ambition, pure uh, ego, pure you know, notoriety, whatever it is, by going all the way back to the beginning of the discussion. Is this aligned with what I believe my values were? Right. Is it aligned with my personal purpose? Is the organization that I'm spending this much time and effort chasing, moving me and it towards a purpose I believe in? If those are yes, then you know you need to go up a ladder, you take some time to go up a ladder. But understand that ladder is still used to take you to the next 
ability to further your purpose out. Yeah, and I think, and as I mentioned, climbing the ladder early in my career, or for most of my careers, I mentioned, I didn't do the why piece, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't. I was, I was a drone, right? I came to work and did the best I could and did what the boss told me to do. Or if I was in the Marine Corps, I followed my orders and did those sort of things. But I can honestly say now, towards the end, now having a purpose, having thought about my own personal why, aligned it with the Rosewood why then things are much more energetic, to your point. You drive energy and purpose from it. And sometimes when you're having a bad day, you just kind of take a step back saying, is this getting close, me closer to the why? Am I aligned with the values and, and the purpose that I have set myself out for? And if the answer is yes, then you go, eh, it's okay. I can endure the pain. Pain is right. Because I'm going to seek the, the longer-term pleasure. Uh, but I, I can honestly say personally that I didn't do this early in my career. And I think that's why it's so important that we talk about it here so that others who may be earlier in their development of their businesses can, can do it better than at least that, as I did back in the early days of mine. Well, I think it's a great place to, to close, but I think it is a good place to realize that both are necessary at different times. But if you can't measure the season you're in and keep in an alignment of what you stand for, and that's become corrupted or right. co-op someone else's and not really who you are, you're going to do like a lot of society and achieve the goal that you set out for and then look at yourself and go, this was not, yeah, this created nothing for me. And, and so despite the money and the fame or the whatever it is, it won't fulfill you. And so I think that's a good spot to, to leave off on. You found yourself on that ship. You're the one going to be in charge. Should you be the one? Are you capable right. of? taking it to the next level, leaving that legacy behind for the employees, for the business itself, for your family. Right. So we, we know the ship and we know ourselves two key pieces before we can go any further on the journey. So I think we'll continue that on our, in our next episode of the powerhouse perspective. So I want to thank everyone for joining. And if you haven't listened to the first three pieces, please go back and do so. Otherwise we'll see you next time. Cheers. Thank you. 